0: Welcome to the Latina Libertarian Podcast with your host Olga Maria, discussing a variety of topics looking at growing liberty in our lifetime and opting out into a liberty lifestyle. Interviews with libertarians, activists, homesteaders and friends, join us in our liberty conversation. Libertarian with your host Olga Maria. Joining me this evening is Will Doherty of Oklahoma, of the Libertarian Party of Oklahoma. He is the chair of that party. He is also uh, the founder of the Libertarian Party Veterans Caucus, and he is currently running for office in Oklahoma. And thank you so much for joining me this evening. We're going to be talking about qualified immunity.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I love that it's like actually focused on an issue instead of being completely whatever off the wall like my podcast typically are. So thank you. I'm looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> I try to do that because I'm I'm a scatterbrain and my brain is going in 15 directions at the same time. And then it's just, and sometimes those are fun conversations, sure. but I think this is important. It's just, I want to talk about it, but First of all, just a little bit of background. So I met Will and I always call him Oklahoma because we met at the national convention and we had the Vermont, um, the Vermont table and Oklahoma uh-huh. was right next to us. And you were just like a wonderful group of folks to be our neighbors.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we, we tried to be pretty fair and impartial and uh, stick to our guns as much as we could. So I think I think we got along great. And you're, you had three reps, right?
0: So, yeah, so we had three, and then we had one um, alternate, so it was like three okay. or four of us sitting there at the same time. How large was your delegation? You had quite a few
1: folks. We had 12 delegates, two alternates, so yeah, we had 14 all together, but yeah, you guys, I remember everybody from Vermont being super nice.
0: Yeah, no, it was great, and we behind us was Maine, which was mm-hmm. interesting, and oh. then in front of us, was it a Ohio?
1: I think that's right. They were huge. And boy, it was contentious in Ohio. So that was interesting to watch. Well,
0: yeah, especially, Bill, because they each had alternates from New Hampshire that didn't make it <laughs> to their SO.
1: Nick Sawwell. Yeah, that sandwich. Of us. That was the biggest thing. The most entertaining and pitiful thing I got to experience the entire week.
0: Every time he got up, it was just or everyone, everyone just took a deep. Me. Yeah, everyone just took a deep breath. Like, here we go.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Point of <laughs> order. Yeah, yeah, very, very petulant. A
0: lot of fun, a lot of fun. It was a, it was a good learning experience, but we had a great time. And um, I think we were already Facebook friends. And then it was just like, oh, wait a minute. That's you? That's you? And I didn't, know,
1: um, I didn't realize that. If that was the case, that's awesome.
0: I think so. I think makes so. Makes I have
1: so many libertarian friends that's like from all over the country I've met over the years and just, you know, had good conversations with, and then we never talk again or anything. So I would believe it.
0: And the thing, too, is that the convention was was great because we got to meet each like we get to meet all of our Facebook libertarian friends. Right. Most of them are in the party. And so it was like so it's always like a, a reunion. Um, And then are you in the Mises Caucus as well?
1: Yeah, technically, I'm still in the Mises Caucus, but I'm not a leadership or organizer or anything like that. I'm not super active in it either. That's OK. Yeah. But
0: I think like and it, so I think like still it was kind of like cool to see like you know it's like a u- reunion of like oh oh wait a minute that's you, all that's these you? putting the faces with and, yeah. yeah putting putting the faces to like the Facebook or the Twitter you know um, avatar or whatever so it was a lot of fun
1: totally I think um, it reinvigorates everybody too it's nice to get all the energy from it from everybody else across the country hear what they're doing see what they're doing different and then bring it back to your home state and get to work.
0: Absolutely, and I—I I know you've certainly done that, and we've been doing that. We've been very busy here. So, how many folks do you have running for office in Oklahoma in your in the Libertarian Party?
1: So, we have six statewide candidates. That's on everybody's ballot in the entire state of Oklahoma. Actually, it might be seven. I think it's seven now that I think about it. Um, and then we've got a couple people running for lower positions, like one person running for county assessor. I think one candidate for U.S. House, and that's about it. So we don't have a ton, but we're really proud of our statewide candidates because our ballot access laws require us to get 2.5% on any statewide race that guarantees us the next four years. So we've got one race already that's only a two, two-way 2 race between a Republican and a Libertarian. So we're really confident oh, that no. that will get us well over 2.5%. But um, early polling um, has really been awesome, even even for the polls that are coming from the other sides. We're seeing a lot of like Ten percent, and I don't think that will necessarily be the result. But I think we'll scratch at it, and I think it'll definitely be historical. I think we'll we'll definitely be the highest um, percentage vote libertarians ever got in Oklahoma. So I'm excited.
0: That's a, and that's that's actually exciting. I think for us as a, you know, just as a national party, like all of the races and all of the, um, all of the races that are happening in every state that we have libertarians running. So we have a dozen folks running as libertarians um, in Vermont, and we haven't had this. I don't know if we've ever had this many, but we haven't certainly haven't had this many in at least 20 years or something like this. So uh, so it's well, no, we've had there was a so back in like the 90s, there was just this surge um, of libertarian candidates. The party was really strong, bad thing. And since then, there really hasn't been. So now it's like kind of slowly coming back. And in vermont we're able to have fusion candidates so we're able to have candidates who can be um in more than one party so cool. we have some candidate yeah so we have some so so well in vermont that's how the progressives um because there's a progressive party that's how they were able because they were running folks with the democrat party cool. so um so we have people who are republicans um, but they're very kind of they're very liberty oriented Republicans and um, kind of connected with folks who didn't know that they could run as libertarians. So they went and ran with the libertarian with the Republican Party. Wow. Um, and then uh, we got together and we were able to give them an endorsement. So we'll have folks that have um, so we'll have fusion candidates that will have a libertarian right party as well. And then we have oh. people just running straight libertarians like uh, Erica Reddick, who's running for U.S. Congress. She's running as a libertarian. Really? She's basically running, yeah. She's basically running against um, two progressives because wow. one um, is the Democrat and the other one is the Republican who won the Republican primary. But He's a self-described progressive. So wow. she's kind of like the one that stands out as a real alternative to the extreme progressive politics that we have in Vermont.
1: And she seemed serious and like she was very qualified, too. So I'm, I'm certainly interested in how that race turns out. We're very different in Oklahoma. Yeah. We are not allowed as the OKLP to endorse any candidates of other parties whatsoever. So we can't put our seal of approval on them. We can't um, market for them or anything. We can't even door knock for them. And I, as the chair, have like turned down some um, even personal endorsements for Republicans because it's just such a kind of a gray area with our bylaws and stuff. But um, it's cool that you guys can do that because I think, you know, it's whether the libertarian party or other parties um, is the proper means of which to achieve liberty in our lifetime is still up for debate. It doesn't make someone less libertarian just because they're necessarily more invested in the GOP than the LP. Now, I think that the LP is clearly the way and I think um, we shouldn't get our... Share, join hands with bloody hands, I guess I would say. Exactly. But uh, I don't judge Republicans who are running because they think that's the best way if they're libertarians inside.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, so definitely part of it is strategy. And at the same time, we want to utilize what you can do right within, the other thing is just like what your state statutes allow. Um, If, you know, if there are states that have fusion candidates, then it just depends on the dynamic of the state. In our state, it makes a lot of sense because we have such a huge extreme left dominance sure. that um the few um uh, folks and, and and it's and it's regional, right? It depends. So the few folks who um um are in the Republican Party who but who are very much um have liberty values, um, but maybe they just have that grassroots um and that connection um in that community and in that sure. you know for for a while. But they are definitely they're going to vote libertarian. Like they, they they're, um, they're, you know, they they agree with our platform and and they're definitely with that approach. And they're not with, you know, they're not being run by the party necessarily. Um, you know, then it's kind of an appropriate thing. But like every state is different because every state has different laws. And I know, like, so for example, New Hampshire is interesting because they use that strategy. What you're explaining is like they're they're using the strategy like we. Want to get in? Like we want libertarians in. So if that means running them as a Democrat or running them as a Republican or running yeah. them as a libertarian,
1: back to Nick Starwark right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that's a different dynamic, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, because I think he's doing that.
1: I think he ran as both a libertarian and a Democrat because somehow he was able to file under both parties. I have no idea how that worked, but
0: I don't know if he's running as a libertarian because I don't think he got the libertarian ah. endorsements, and I oh, wow. think. Okay he might be running against a libertarian. I don't, I'm not really? sure. It's, it's a, well, because they have their whole situation over there sure. too, but.
1: So how do, um, I've always but, wondered this, how do the cultures of Vermont and New Hampshire border each other and yet are so vastly different politically? How does that work?
0: It's funny because, um, Vermont is, is, uh, we have a, a, a so New Hampshire isn't that populated, but it's definitely more populated than Vermont. So New Hampshire has about um, a million, 500,000 or 600, something like that. People, okay. Vermont has about 600,000 people. Oh my so gosh. we have, yeah, we are, and we are the most rural state East of Wyoming. Like we're the second most rural state in the country.
1: I did not the know The first, that. I
0: believe it. Yeah. And that's just because of population density and, um, and, 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 and what, you know, the land. So sure. we're, we're definitely a lot more rural. And so geographically, um, New Hampshire and Vermont, if you look at us on a map, it's like, we're, you know, we're the pork chop with the thin piece down and, and they're uh-huh. the pork chop with the, the big piece exactly. that looks like pork chops.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: but they have, um, they have a bit, um, they have coastline and then they have a lot of, um, quite a bit of their geography is surrounded by like, you know, Massachusetts and Maine. So there's a lot uh-huh. of that population density s- southwise, which I think you know creates a, a little bit of a different dynamic um but it's interesting because they are definitely um more they 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 definitely have more conservative oriented sure. folks and more um and a, and a much more now because of the free state project um mm-hmm. people who are you know definitely talking about liberty and libertarianism and and moving to that state for that reason um, sure. In Vermont, it's the the it's interesting because I mean, and similar to a lot of places and I'm sure there's areas in Oklahoma like this anywhere where you have, you know, um, a large population area where you have colleges. Those are going to be the areas that swing left. Sure. It's just kind of what it is um, in Vermont, though, because the, the population is pretty spread out that concentration wow. of population in Burlington um it's a huge concentration of folks and it's it's mostly folks from out of state it's mostly you know it's a lot of college kids and one of the things that happens here is that um you know the first week that kids are coming up from out of state you know going to college um you know the democratic party and 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 progressive party like they have their tables out and they are registering these kids to vote in local elections wow. which really isn't legal um, but it's not necessarily illegal it's one of those great things because here you're able to register to vote if you have the intent of being a full-time resident and so there's kind of this way that people get away with it and so huh. um I, I mean that's my i'm wording it getting away with it because i feel like if sure. you're if you know that you're there as a as a student and your legal residence or your your real residence is is somewhere else but you're just here for school then you're really kind of gaming the system, and unfortunately, yeah. a lot of these folks they never leave that region, so they don't realize what their what the politics that they're um, that they're voting on how that affects a how very affects rural everyone. state. I think and that and that's very, really
1: yeah. I think that speaks to the center of a problem that's just nationwide, and that's really that those blue right. you know coastal and extremely urbanized communities are trying to decide. For the rest of us who are spread out across the country in most of the actual geography, and you're right that they don't understand the problems of big cities don't apply everywhere, and so they want to apply their blanket solutions that they need in this place where they've got the skyscrapers and all of this homelessness to us out out you know in the suburbs and and in the rural areas that um, are trying to live and just you know put our own sheds up without having to ask somebody for permission, and uh, I think I right. think that really speaks to the heart of it though. So it sounds like that's kind of nationwide problem, really.
0: It's definitely a microcosm. And and, um, it's now that I understand that because I grew up, I was born and raised in New York City, right? So I came from that experience of not even considering what it would be like in like, rural Oklahoma or like rural, or like even this, not even necessarily rural, but just like small towns or small suburbs. And you just, you don't, you don't understand because you haven't lived that experience. And it wasn't until we really moved that I was just like, um, it was very empowering because, you know, even though, um, Vermont is controlled and and very much so with like extreme left politics, there's still certain aspects of Vermont that are very, um, liberty still like because Vermont I think had a lot of libertarian values like you talk to people um here that that are you know that live just like normal lives and they do have a lot of libertarian values it just Mm. doesn't make it to the uh to the state house the golden dome as we call it and that was one of the things that attracted attracted us to move up here and it was really empowering and really was um um, it was an eye opener to kind of realize like how entitled you are when you grow up in a certain way in a certain area and you really don't understand the experiences of folks. I mean, when we moved up here, um, my husband had been in the military as well. And he was like, listen, we can own guns here. So yeah. you're going to own a gun and you're going to learn how to use it. Because if you pick up the phone and call 911, they may not show up until ne- the next day. Yes, yeah, And at that point, like he was still um, he was still traveling to New York to work a couple, couple nights a week. Um, and so and and it was just like, wow, like so certain. And we were both paramedics in New York. So we had at least that emergency medical background because that was one of the things we thought like, wow, like if there's ever, you know, think something happens to you or your kids, yeah. you're like, yeah, you know, dial 911. 911 may not show up. So you have to kind of or if your neighbor, if your neighbor down the road needs help, like you kind of want to be able to have that know how um, because they may not show up right away. Um, and that's a very, that's a very, <laughs> the My cat animals on the are, yeah, <laughs> that's a very, uh, that's a very real thing when you are living outside of, um, you know, urban areas where everything is kind of, you know, you can pick up your phone and you can have food. Like we don't have food delivery. <laughs> we Sorry. don't have pizza delivery where we are. We don't, you know, it's like, we have it. Like you got to go pick it up. You may have to drive 10 or 15 minutes, but there's just certain things. It's kind of the, um, you know, what you, what you give up certain things, but the value, I mean, I'd rather not have that and have my 13 acres and have my yeah. privacy and have and my homes and my freedom and my homestead and things like that. So it's interesting that Vermont. It's like you know we're still a constitutional carry state, although they are trying to push you know um, gun control laws here, and um, and 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 it, There is a lot of this. I call it um, gentrification. as a gentrification yeah. mindset because there are a lot of folks that kind of move up here, like from Massachusetts and Connecticut, and New York City, even California, and they want to put laws um, like gun control laws, like you see in New York City, yeah. that that don't that don't wouldn't work here. And one of the reasons you know places um like this new hampshire vermont and maine are are some of those are, are i think they're like the the, the safest states mm-hmm. um and that's because um of the, you know they're constitutional carry states yeah so um you know it's it's interesting like how certain cultural things are trying to shift but it really isn't for the better yeah. um, i wanted to ask you just before we move on to qualified immunity and the segue to that but what um, you're you're the founder of the Veterans Caucus? Like, what made you decide to do that? Because I think that is such a wonderful um, component to have in the Libertarian Party. We do have a lot of veterans in the party, but I think it's important to recruit veterans to the party as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I really just kind of realized that there was that that huge hole and that there was kind of a niche missing that we could go after. And um, I recruited my best friend Braxton. He was my bunk mate in basic training, and he's also you know been a Libertarian for a long time now. Um, And another girl, her name is Tracy, who uh, is also kind of libertarian and and is a veteran and very active in veteran issues. And so we kind of just got this idea of um, trying to, our our motto is leading libertarians to veteran solutions and veterans, no, leading libertarians to veteran issues and veterans to libertarian solutions. So, you know, we basically realized that there's this absence of marketing to veterans and, you know, messaging, targeting veterans in the movement. And not only that, unfortunately, there's a lot of rhetoric that, in in the convolution of becoming anti-war, people become very anti-vet sometimes, or they just use speech that is really off-putting to some vets. And me and Brad, yeah. since we've been libertarians a long time. You know, we don't care if you call us, um, you know, supporters of war and say there's blood on our hands and things like that. You know, we've reconciled with those issues and, and already had those thoughts ourselves. But if you're looking at somebody who's on the fence and they've never heard about libertarianism before and are just di- dipping their toe into the movement. Um, Hearing those things could really put them off, especially when vets have a ton of pride in in their service and what they did Um, and a lot of guilt and and shame and PTSD that's already there. So to pour salt in that wound is really, um, I think, puts a lot of people off. So we decided to talk about war, talk about veteran issues, target veteran issues um, and bring libertarian solutions to them and message them in a way that, you know, is respectful of their experience and what they did, but definitely doesn't toe the line as far as, um, you know, compromising on libertarian principles. And so that's what we do. And um, we've got a few other national organizers. We definitely um, have not done a ton this year as I've also been OKLP chair and feel that I've got my hands in way too many pots as it is. But I'm hoping after I can resign this position, then I will um, be able to focus more on that down the road because I have a lot of big plans for it. And um, like you said, it's a huge huge need and we're happy to fill it. So you can find us at lpvets.com. We've got a website. Discord server and on all the social medias at LPVets.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So yeah, I've been wanting to have this conversation on qualified immunity. I think that it's a buzzword now. Um, It is an important topic. It is an important issue. I think, it. yep, and qualified immunity, we're putting it right there on the table. We are libertarians and libertarians have been um, this has a been an issue for libertarians probably since um the Libertarian Party started in 1971, I would say. Um yeah. maybe not as forefront, um, and, and certainly more now with a lot of corruption, with a lot of police brutality um that you know that has that has certainly um made it to the national media. Um, but this is this is a position that libertarians have had from the get, but we come at it from a different perspective and i think that it's important for us to have these conversations and to discuss um first of all what is qualified immunity you know what is this concept because a lot of people i think um are and i i was too to a certain degree because it's that it's not about um a, a government official which does also include police because we always mm-hmm. just think about it with police but Um, Any government official could be held accountable, and a lot of people assume like criminal, criminally accountable. But qualified immunity is actually very specific to Uh um, civil suits. So I'm just going to put this little banner up um, just so everyone can see. And this is just a super basic, but qualified immunity shields government officials, including police, from being held personally liable for constitutional violations and money damages. So I'm just gonna leave that up for a minute, but it includes police. But this would include politicians. This would include bureaucrats. This uh-huh. would include um, I don't know CDC directors,
1: yeah. CDC, CDC directors. Yeah. CDC directors. That's a good one. And I
0: and uh-huh. I NIH directors. Um, your your local, you know, your statewide Department of Health director. Um, you know, this includes all of those types of folks um, from you know being held personally liable for constitutional violations from your rights that are protected in our constitution, um, and money damages, because we also know that there is, um, um, you know, property that is stolen through, um, what is that civil forfeiture? forfeiture, Yeah. Civil asset forfeiture, um, and, and just all types of things. And now with the power of, um, our, you know, the technology that we have in our cell phone, right? We have this incredible device that now so many people are just able to record and project live onto social media, all types of events that are happening. That I think that's really been one of the things that has brought this issue to the forefront.
1: 100% because, you know, I don't know how long you've been, you know, watching the movement, but when, when I was really young um, and it was like the Rodney King days, It didn't seem like there was very many instances of police really being that terrible and i'm sure they were happening all over the country we just weren't seeing them as much you're exactly right so once people started having phones and it kind of i think ferguson was probably the first time that it really got nationally publicized even though um you know i would i would argue about that case still um but you know philando castile and everybody since then there's been a lot of them recently and you're right as phones get more and more popular and people have cameras better quality live streaming um, we're going to be holding police accountable more often and they're going to face this issue. So I did not hear about qualified immunity until well after Ferguson, Missouri, which was probably, um, I don't know, past 2008, 2009. Um, so that's when oh, people yeah. really, I think, started talking about this and it got bigger and bigger. Um, one thing that I think is cool to mention, um, I was reading about it to kind of study up for the show, since I'm definitely far from an expert on this, but there was actually a law passed in the late 1800s that specifically said you know, that you could sue government officials for violating your constitutional rights. And they specifically passed it to make it a law that that was a right of yours to do as an American citizen. Our government was clearly much cooler in the 1800s than it is today, um, in some ways, at least. In some ways, yeah. Yeah. But over the years, uh, basically legal precedent and cases have kind of eroded that. And I don't know, I'm sure you've heard about this one if you've watched that debate or read about it at least, but the biggest case, I forget the names on it. But, um, police were chasing a suspect into the backyard and he ran and the next door neighbor was a family and the family and their dogs and everybody's outside and they tell all of them to get on the ground, everybody to put their hands up and and lay down and are screaming at them and stuff. And then the family dog walks by and the article claimed that there was supposedly, you know, he didn't do anything wrong and, and a cop just shot him and they tried to sue, of course. And they really reinforced for the first time this qualified immunity precedent um, That basically said that there had to be a a clear precedent set already in a previous case. But the way they word that is so vague that essentially it has to be the exact same situation. Right. And every and in that, trial. Right. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and in
0: that particular case, I believe it was like a family barbecue and everyone complied. They were all on the ground. And they shot the dog and in shooting the dog, they actually killed a 10 year old. Yeah, that's right.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, that was
0: the big thing. But in that particular case, um, was it that one? There's so many. Uh, many. I was listening to something earlier. They were saying in, in one of these qualified immunity cases, because the person was lying on their stomach, and the precedent had been someone lying on their side, they used that as a way to say, well, no, qualified immunity will apply because it's not the same exact circumstances.
1: And qualified
0: immunity is not a law. It is a legal...
1: um, Interpretation.
0: Interpretation um, that I think got solidified, I want to say, with a case in 1983 um, that went to the Supreme Court. and, And it's been... Discussed, and you know, I was listening to—I um, think it was the Federalist Society. There's a lot of cool, interesting debates, and I really recommend people to just put in qualified immunity in um, YouTube or in one of these, you know, video streaming, whatever's. And there's a lot of interesting debates because this is not like, oh, it's a law that we have to get overturned. This is a question of legal interpretations and how these cases are brought forth. And they're very complex. And it's very frustrating. And I think the focus now tends to be on the, uh, when there's police brutality, when there's police misconduct. But honestly, um, I I think it's important that we really start looking at the qualified immunity that politicians and bureaucrats have. Yeah. Um, because I think, personally, my view is that Unless people are really held accountable directly for the role that they play and for the decisions that are made and for the authority that they take, um, we're really not going to see a lot of change. Once these things start to shift where you have um, a politician, let's say, or a bureaucrat who says, we're going to, you know, we're going to shut these things down because ah, of right. X, Y, and Z. And then we find out that X, Y, and Z was wrong. We're like, well, guess what? You're now responsible for, you yeah. know, for these businesses. And they would
1: I walk think, a lot softer.
0: For, most definitely. And I think they'd be like, what's the constitution say again about exactly. this?
1: Maybe we should <laughs> Maybe 100%. And you, you did a great, a great job bringing up Fauci, because that's a good point. If he actually had to suffer the consequences of the words he said and the, the policies that he enforced they would be so careful because it's, they're all selfish. We know that about politicians, right? So they're not gonna sacrifice themselves and their livelihoods and their families and their estates for their political views. None of them are that passionate. They're all just there because it's a gig and they wanna get powerful. So I think that that would be a phenomenal way to look at it. I've said, you know, something that I wish, which is definitely like the opposite of qualified immunity to the extreme, but if police arrest somebody and it turns out that there was not enough evidence to arrest them or their reasoning was false, I think they should be charged with kidnapping. I think that's a very reasonable right. You know, that you shouldn't be able to just put a person in a cage just for, yeah, maybe this is the person we need kind of thing. You know, um, and I think that would make people uh, behave a lot more. But um, I do try to think of the other side and advocate for the devil sometimes that, you know, and mm-hmm. in, in from the mindset of that legal precedent, the way that they see it is that, you know, it's hard. You can't really ask people to be police and be public officials and do these roles and do these terrible jobs and make these decisions that affect all of us if they're open to that, um, liability. And I think that's true. So let's stop giving them all that power and all that responsibility and letting them control their lives.
0: Maybe we shouldn't have frivolous laws. Maybe we shouldn't have, you know, we shouldn't be putting people away for victimless crimes. Like that's when I think the, the real shift in how we start to look at it. And I think this is why it's very different when, it, libertarians and liberty-minded people talk about qualified immunity versus the left, the demo, you know Democratic Party talking about because they're only looking to weaponize it for, for votes, right? They're only uh-huh. looking and using this language in one way. They're not they're not really interested in getting rid of qualified immunity for politicians or for yeah, or any and government. The problem I mean, <laughs> with
1: qualified immunity is not going to be that it's fundamentally immoral because it violates people's rights. It's going to be because it's part of the white supremacy plan and it's part of uh, you know, male bigotry or, or whatever. It's part of the, uh, whatever the,
0: the code, whatever they call the mean. hierarchy,
1: that's the problem. So right. even if they attack it, they're attacking it for the fundamentally wrong reasons. And if we don't address the right fundamental reasons, we'll just still be doing the same stuff.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think it's important to talk about um, that qualified immunity applies to all government employees because they only want people to focus on policing, which certainly it is something we definitely need to talk about. And I think the way we look at policing as libertarians as, you know, where government has a monopoly on, I wouldn't even call it security, but government has this monopoly on the enforcement of uh-huh. laws and mm-hmm. um statutes um and um you know the idea of protecting and serving is certainly something that can be done by the private sector right mm-hmm. and then um you know uh, police as we know it, I think would be dramatically different because police would could play a role in terms of um collecting evidence that has to get to the courts yeah um you know certain things like that where you're really shifting and stripping away not only the authority and the power, but also the amount of responsibility. That the I think there are they have
1: to get in front of a gun potentially and put themselves right. in danger unnecessarily.
0: Yeah, but the other side to that coin is then people have to take the onus of self-defense and security mm-hmm. and safety for themselves, right? Because you can't pretend that you're going to live in a world where um, you could outsource. You're secure you know, you're gonna outsource sure. everything to the sure. state. And yeah. that and the, and then there's no consequence because the consequences that we're living right now with the absolute corruption that we're seeing on all levels in government with the amount of police brutality that we're seeing. Um, and consequently the amount of violence and wilding out that's happening in a lot of cities and things like that, because people are like, Oh, police can't arrest me for this. So I'm just going to act crazy. Um, is because this is all the consequences of allowing the government to have monopolies and people are outsourcing so many things that really, um, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, and and even less in some places, people were just responsible for that on their own, right? I mean, in a lot of rural places, people are still responsible for their personal safety. Like if someone Mm -hmm. walks onto our property and they're not welcome, like it's up to us to go outside armed to talk with them. We're not, you know, to to try to de-escalate and understand what's happening. But if it's someone that means to do us harm, like we're responsible for that because I can't outsource that to my sheriff. Especially yeah. if he's helping someone, you know, in another town over because it's it's a limited resources here. Like, that's just the reality. Um, when yeah. you live in a city where you can pick up the phone and dial 911 for something really trivial and you can have police show up, um, you know, within five minutes, then you really you, you just don't understand things in a different way. And people Absolutely. assume that policing is about prevention and right. police. It's impossible like even if it was like everyone was a perfect police officer, like if it was sure. like oh we have all these social workers and they're perfect people and they can't prevent they can't prevent a crime. It's impossible. It's sure. such a small percentage of crimes that actually get prevented by policing. Because um, sure. you know then we just have these unrealistic expectations of what these people are supposed to be doing as well.
1: That's leftism in a nutshell, is let's have these unrealistic expectations of what this system can produce for us and give it all the power in the world to build us utopia and then be completely frustrated whenever it can't. And whenever it's broken, and whenever it comes back and turns its hands and its teeth against us, you know, yeah, um, I'd, I'd get the nail on the head.
0: And I think the other like the other side, too, is I, I tend to get um, you know, I try to have discussions with people who are who are conservative. And the the knee-jerk reaction, too, because that's the other discussion we have to be having. You know, we have to talk with our liberal friends and we have to talk with our conservative friends. Our thin blue line Um,
1: friends, yeah.
0: Yeah, where the knee-jerk reaction is, no, you know, back the blue and protect qualified immunity. Like, I was looking at someone's uh, political paper that they sent me for Republican Party or something like that, and that was the first thing that I was on the back, and I was just like... I don't know if you have thought that out. Like, I think, you know, a lot of times like you talk to them and it's, it is this knee jerk reaction of, well, if the left is saying one thing, then we have to say the opposite. And it's like, well, we've been saying this from the beginning and it really doesn't have to do, like you said, the, re- the rationale from from leftism. It's really this rationale of like we want less government. and th- This is one of the ways that we have we have to get there.
1: Yeah, it's sad that our, our politics has become so much more about pol- culture than it has about actual policy. And that's the thing is mm. that anytime Republicans hear an idea that isn't conservatism and any time leftists hear an idea that isn't progressivism, they automatically assume that we're on the opposite side of the culture war and we want to force them to be Christians and we want to force them to be white or we want to force their kids to be trans and we want to force them to – um, have rainbow flags and so right. they just see it as a two-sided coin and it's not we're the only ones who are actually addressing the policy and trying to dissect how these things really affect people and our rights and and we have respect for every human being on both sides of the fence regardless of how they believe and that's something that also makes us different um but it's sad um, that we have to tell people explain to people that that this is not libertarianism is not about dominating the culture it's about stopping trying to
0: Right. And and one of the things I share with folks is you can be a conservative and a libertarian, and yeah. you could be a liberal and libertarian. Yeah. If we can agree that it's not the government's role to enforce my views on you or your views on me, that the government's role is just to protect our rights, yeah. um, then we can, th- we're actually the big tent. We're actually, yeah. we can come together. And That's then exactly we right. can have our, we can have our disagreements on certain issues. Like, I think it's I I think the great thing about libertarians is like you can have a libertarian who's pro-choice and pro-life like abortion is one of these topics that if you bring it up, like people are going to lose their minds. But we're able to have these conversations because we're just having it on. um, we're, We're just talking brass tacks about about the issue itself and not about I want to force you to agree with me. I yeah. want to enforce, I want laws to be created so that you have to agree with me or that you have to pay for something that you disagree with philosophically or spiritually. Yeah. So They're just like, no, we we kind of agree that the government shouldn't be involved. We're just trying to, we're just trying to talk about it. Like we just want to have a conversation because it's a good conversation to have. And we should be able to be in a place where we're talking about really difficult things. And I think, I mean, and I think in, in the case of qualified immunity, it's important for us to have these conversations with people who are progressive and people who are conservative because, um, you know, I, I think with the progressives, there is that knee-jerk reaction too of like, oh, it's it's anti-police. So automatically they kind of go with that and they don't really exactly. understand even the whole uh, uh, history behind qualified immunity yeah. that you mentioned a little bit. Yeah,
1: you're so absolutely we have,
0: um, We have a funny comment here. So chemistry students, so is taxation theft <laughs>
1: taxation is theft
0: (laughs) one of my favorite uh things of the convention is every any time that there was you know a little bit of a break a little bit of a lull you know that's when people would kind of go up and be like so is tax you know i have emotions Uh is taxation theft it's not a convention unless that's asked 572 times
1: Uh huh. i'm curious now who the kim student is i wonder if they got to witness that firsthand I guess so. Yeah. We're,
0: were you at the convention chemistry student? Share a little bit.
1: <laughs> Tell us about yourself, please. Tell
0: us about yourself. We want to try though. to figure out who you are.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's well, uh, I think I think the left and the right, I think a big part of their problem is that, you know, both of them are terrified to be controlled by the other one. And so in their mm-hmm. fear, they push back. And instead of trying to come to this neutral agreement like we do, they try to push back on the other one and control the other one. And uh, the OKLP posted a tweet a few weeks ago that said, you know, in order to understand libertarianism, you have to first kill the tyrant in yourself. And I think that's Mm. really true that those of us who are libertarians have really let go of the mindset that we could possibly control people and dominate our culture. We can't win. And we're not even trying to, whatever our culture is. We're just trying to be left alone. And we've realized that that's the hill to die on. And that's the place to plant your flag. And that's what makes us different. Right.
0: Well, that's what makes us awesome. And I think that's... That's one of the things I I find people really have a hard time with because um, I think folks want to pigeonhole us to, well, that's like a right wing idea. Um, like, you know, I was talking um, with some members about like, oh, like we should have, you know, we should have like range days and stuff like that. And, you know, I was like, well, that's kind of right wing. And I was like, yeah, but the point is, is that it, it shouldn't be.
1: It shouldn't like, be. Yeah. Just, Your rights aren't should be one way or the other.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not anything on that person, but it's just, this is how certain things are perceived. And it's like, okay, so like, what's the left event? You know, like we kind of have to do these things, but I think what's powerful, like for example, I think Maj Touré challenges that with Black Guns Matter and the work Mm -hmm. he's doing, it's like, no, like the second amendment is about protecting your rights, everyone's rights, and we need Mm -hmm. to get as many people in on these rights as possible in the best positive way and kind of own that because that's important, it shouldn't be like, oh, back when I think the left was more of, you know, very much about like, you know, civil liberties and, you know, the, the first amendment and, and you know, we don't really hear these things so much anymore, unfortunately from the left, especially I think in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, um, being anti-war and, you know, protecting freedom of speech and things like that. Um, but back in the day, like that was like oh, it was, that was like the 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 positive aspect of um, the left was the anti-war movement and you know free yeah. speech movement, and um, and now it's we're so far gone away from it that people, I think, are now very open to the idea of, for example, getting rid of the electoral college. Yeah. right like, people have no idea what that's about and like what we were saying earlier about you know living rural or living living in states that are not you know like the coastal blue states or um you know that are that are really projecting ideas and laws and culture into areas that just doesn't make any
1: sense I don't understand um, them. yeah exactly
0: and i mean and i i heard um educated very intelligent political candidates talking about how one of the things they really wanted to do was get rid of the electoral college and I'm thinking have you ever read like I don't understand how you get to yeah. that point unless it's just something to say like the
1: you know. they know that democrats will win every election if they get rid of the electoral college but they don't they don't remember that we're a union of states we're not one country and we're not one people you know it's it's super nationalistic to view everything from a federal perspective and a national perspective but we're a union of states so if they did away with with the electoral college, what incentive would Oklahoma have to participate in this system or Wyoming or any small state, you know? Um, yeah. And and I think that's really when doesn't take much of a history lesson to understand it.
0: Yeah. I think that's when secession would go from being like a funny, cute hashtag that New Hampshire rights like to use to being like a very serious um yeah. reality, like where states are gonna be talking about we we may need to not be part of this anymore. And it seems it like such it's it's such a crazy idea that, you know, something that we've read about in history books in school, right? The secession of the South and the Confederacy. And like that now it's a conversation, except we just call it national divorce, where like people are actually having conversations like, and, and you know, you'll scroll on your social media, and you'll see like these little surveys pop up. Do you think do you think some states should just, you know, the, the United States should break up and be different regions? And, yeah. and it's just like, wow, this is actually something that we're talking about now because things are so it, it have so intensified in terms of the division.
1: That I think there was a USA Today article. It's hard to cut you off. And it was no, they were analyzing different regions of the country and different political groups in the country. But they found that secession has never been more popular in America than any time they've ever researched it. And it was funny, the groups, because it wasn't just Southern. Yes, a big chunk of it was like Southern Republicans, Southern conservatives. but Another chunk of it was like Northwestern liberals. Yeah, so like I was Democrats fascinated. up in Washington and Oregon were kind of like, no, I'm kind of done with this. You know, I don't want Donald Trump to be my president again. And, you know, yeah. it's localism. Ultimately power should belong at the closest place to the people possible and government should be as small as possible. And so we should, it's high time to be advocating for that. There are more people living in New York City today than there were voting in the original 13 colonies whenever we formed the United States. So the idea that this giant behemoth government can somehow serve the interests of that intentional constitution is is ridiculous. I think it's, it's the law of like thermodynamics. It's just becoming more and more chaotic and oppressive. And I would, I'm, I'm a huge fan of national divorce, secession, call it whatever you want. I'm ready for that step firmly.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I can see definitely. I I, I think um, I really admire the Free State Project. I think that idea of concentrating like-minded folks, um, so in this case, in New Hampshire, like liberty-minded folks in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. I think that's a, a great idea. Um, I, I went to Porkfest, have you ever been to Porkfest?
1: No, but I know what it is, yeah.
0: You guys yeah. have to come. You have to come to Park Fest. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's really a wonderful experience to just be in the mountains of New Hampshire camping and, you know, for a whole week with just a bunch of pretty like-minded. Everyone's in there, you know, everyone's on a monolith, but just generally yeah. like-minded folks. So we all kind of have like these fundamental things and it's a lot of fun. But one of the things that Dennis Pratt um, talks about is what's a better tactic are are we really like going to try to convince everyone in the country uh you know to be a libertarian or is it it, what typically works does it really work that you just find the folks that are like-minded and you kind of just go settle in places together and just try to make that work so I admire that idea a lot but um I think we're gonna have the fight wherever we are like we're gonna fight for exactly Liberty, we're going to talk about what needs to be talked about. Um, I think it'll be interesting if we come back and have the national divorce conversation in like 20 years and see like what has transpired. Changed,
1: yeah, I bet mean, it'll be sooner than that, potentially, honestly, I think the next presidential election will have a lot to do with it. But
0: And whatever, whatever way it goes, right? I think mm. if um, Biden runs again and is reelected, I think it's it's it's. I call him President Cabbage Patch, and I don't mean to be disrespectful <laughs> to yeah. my elders, but I just feel like it's very clear that his cognitive capacity is greatly diminished. And if he hadn't have been such an awful authoritarian politician for his entire career, I, you know, I I find myself like feeling bad for him. But I just kind of it cuts short because then I remember this man has been awful. So yeah, maybe just you know we're letting karma do its and thing.
1: Yeah. But, once, you, once you've had that much power and, and destroyed that many people's lives, you just become a lizard to me. I mean, I <laughs> I, I do feel bad for him. I don't want to I don't want to hit on the Biden trips yeah. on a bike because it's it's low hanging fruit and it doesn't address the actual issues. Um, But he, you know, he can he can go to hell. He's he's evil. But uh, I wanted to just touch on something you said, because I think it's a really important point to talk about. But you said how, you know, we'll always have to be fighting that. And I, you're absolutely right. I, I say that libertarianism is a constant vigilance. And it really is because mm-hmm. tyranny is constantly aggressive. There will always be somebody who wants to control you, somebody who wants to manipulate things, somebody who thinks they know better for everybody else. And so teaching people this, um, even if we do secede and we do move to New Hampshire, whatever we do to group up together, you know, teaching people this will always be our priority. And you know, the LP motto is a world set free in our lifetime, not a country, which is funny because we're not a, ne- a global party. Um, but it's still our priority to get this message to every single person so that we can all understand it and have respect for, for natural rights and, and human rights. Um, but I like that. You know, it is it is something no matter where we go, how far we get, tyranny will always be there. So we'll have to be there, too.
0: That's true. Um, And I think our philosophy, I think the libertarian philosophy is a beautiful one. And I think our principles are um, and just, you know, if you don't like if you don't understand, you know, economics or Austrian economics, I mean, I didn't, and I still, I'm learning. Um, But just, just the basic principles of the non-aggression principle um, and, um, you know, volunteerism, I think Mm -hmm. that is just so basic, but at the same time, when you really start applying it to everything that you deal with in your life, um, all of your interactions, in your life like it makes a lot of sense and there's so many interactions that we have where it's pretty you're you are living pretty libertarian you don't realize it and then it's those aspects of your life when the state is intervening and those are the aspects of your life that are the most annoying
1: yeah right we all, like and we're all when frustrated. you're
0: like <laughs> it's like the like wow like i just i you know in a, in a couple of weeks i gotta go pay my property taxes and i'm like you know i own this land outright but I still have to pay the state rent in order to, to live here. And if you and, don't, you know, just, they'll
1: show up on your door and they'll probably even take you to jail at some point.
0: They, right. And then, you know, and so many, and I think it cuts us because then people are like, well, how will you have roads? And how will you have schools? And it's like, we had those things before the state decided to, yeah. to, to intervene and create the monopoly on it. And I think we're being robbed. Of our creativity and of our cooperation our
1: industriousness <laughs> and our ingenuity and i always say to that argument is you know how how would they pick cotton you know if they abolish slavery there's the exact same concept you know the south
0: ending well, slavery yeah. was
1: not perfect for the south it caused a lot of problems for those people they had to completely rewrite their lives but who would sit there and argue and say that we're not in a better world now because of it even in the south without slavery You know, when you're Mm -hmm. abolishing oppression and when you're abolishing the overriding of human rights, you don't think about what the consequences are. You just do it. We'll deal with the consequences. We can cross those bridges. We can still organize and build systems and we can do it with the consent of the people that are participating in it. And that's, you're right. It is so basic. The non-aggression principle is so basic that you think you shouldn't even have to explain it to people. And yet our government ignores it every single day and has no, no comprehension of what they're doing.
0: Mm Um. And just to kind of, so the other point with the, that I wanted to just circle back to qualified immunity is that, so what exists now is you can't hold the, the, the the official that hurt you um, liable, but you're able to sue this state, like you're able to sue the entity. So if something happened, let's say if it's a police department or the IRS or whatever, you're able to sue them. Right. Like, but, but, that's still us. Like you're able, so you're yeah. suing the state, and you can get a settlement. But that's a settlement of you have to pay for money, yourself. which is which is stolen. So at the end of the day, um, you're you know you're suing us, kind of like we're so su- like it's a weird this weird concept.
1: It's brilliant and, I mean, if you're a corrupt politician or police officer because it's just a it's a great circle. You can do whatever you want, and the people will keep paying for it, and you can keep oppressing them. So it makes sense why this is such a hard conversation to bring up and why so many politicians pretend that this issue doesn't even exist because they don't Mm -hmm. want us to touch it.
0: Yeah, and I think we'd have to really, um, I, I think as libertarians, we have to just keep getting our message out and be better about how we have these discussions and what the, and we always have to have, it's important to say, yeah, that's wrong, but here's a solution or here's an alternative or yeah. here's a way that this could potentially work. Um, and that's the beauty of the free market. You know, we may not know the solution today, but I do know that if we decentralize and if we nullify a lot of these things, that the, this, the, the what we decide, what we figure out together um, voluntarily is going to be so much better than what's happening right now. Um, and there are some examples of certain things. I mean, there are examples, for example, um, where... Policing is, does dramatically look different where you have communities that they privatize certain things. And part of that is, you know, um, becoming a gun owner or being more mindful of, you know, learning certain things and, and, and in the long run, like that's going to decrease crime, um, certain things that are getting addressed. That's going to make those individuals who are, let's say responsible for policing an area, much more responsible because you're going to be dealing with a company that is going to be much more selective in who they hire they are yeah. going to hire people with a certain mindset with certain skill sets they're going to want to um, please their
1: customers
0: exactly because let's say you have a contract with them for one year and they they don't do so great you can be like all right well there's a couple of other companies we're going to go you know we're going to look into yeah. because you're not doing your you know this wasn't so great or wow we really like you like we'd like to extend this contract or have you I
1: mean those kind of services exist in other parts of the world like Africa specifically like they have you know where they have places where the police are so corrupt they essentially can't rely on them or trust them anyway so they have private security and I, I had a foreign exchange student from Kenya and they had a button they would push on their wall and that called a group of armed men to drive down the street and come save them from whatever was happening and you know whether there were state police or city police or not I would still want someone to be at the end of the phone when I needed them and so I would pay Absolutely. for whatever services I had to, to provide that. And I would still want an ambulance to be able to come pick up my child or, or family member if they got hurt. And I would, um, you know, still want someone to come put out a fire at my house when I lit my field on fire. So, I mean, Your we'll animals all things. agreed with you. They do. Absolutely. I know, right?
0: <laughs> You're like, yes. Um, and that's the thing Or people like, um, well, how would, how would you do that? Like, how would you have a fire department? It's like, well, you pay for insurance, don't you? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you rent, don't you, you know, you pay renter's insurance. If you own your home, you pay home insurance. Um, Well, you pay for, you pay for your internet. You pay for, you know, you pay, you pay for all types of things. And so these types of services literally would be something like an insurance policy that probably wouldn't even be as expensive as people imagined. Yeah. Um, There's all types of like, it, and, and, you know, and these are models that actually exist in other countries. Yeah. There's other countries where they don't have a municipal fire department, but you have a company that will provide these types of services and you pay, you know, not really that much a month you would think because you're not having a fire every month. You know, if it, you know, God forbid it happens, but if it happens and certainly it's like, you know, you're, you have that service. Um, But yeah, there's already these types of models. It's just, I think here, because we're not talking about what it would look like. And because we have a monopoly and yeah. you're not even allowed necessarily to have those services, on, except under very uh, certain circumstances. And usually, those are places where there's an incredible amount of wealth, where they're they're allowed. The state allows them to have this kind of substructure, where they're they're allowed to have a private entity. But in mm-hmm. most other places, you're not even allowed to do that. True. Um, I know in New York City. Um, when they decided to privatize to allow private ambulance companies to run on the 911 system, I mean it was a huge mm-hmm. fight eventually. Like they were able we to do it, but they still here. had to Yeah, they still had to go under the the, the 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 city. They still had to go under the city government. Um, you know, because they didn't want that direct competition and then you know, then you have and unions are a huge factor. Unions, unions like the police unions, are a huge factor in qualified immunity. Totally. Um, um, and these discussions as well as like teachers unions. And like this is something that would certainly apply to teachers as well, right? I mean, if you could hold your teacher accountable for some of the stuff that may be happening in a classroom or certain school officials for certain things that are happening, I think a lot of that. But Um, Yeah, it's kind of hard to have this discussion and ignore like what municipal, the power that municipal unions have in the politics and the things that are determining um, what we're able to do, like as citizens, like the rights that we're able to exert. I mean, you have to go to court and meet these almost impossible requirements if you even have the wherewithal to do that.
1: Yeah, if you even know how to navigate such a complex system. Um, yeah, it's it's completely broken. And I think it's um, my wife plays civilization, and they always have like these cool historic quotes. And there was one that was from John Locke that we read this week that I put on the OKLP page, but it talked about how usually a new idea is opposed simply because it's new. And that mm-hmm. that's a, a s- summary for sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that we've just been solving our problems with government and with force for so long that to think of doing it in any other way is ridiculous, which is so funny because we pay government. To do all the same things we're going to pay people for directly to build. Our anyway. roads. It's still, the, it's still the engineers and the, co- the construction workers who build the roads. You know, it's still the, the IT guys and people who build the Internet infrastructure. So um, we've just relied on force for too long and we can do things and we can pay people directly without bureaucrats bleeding all our money and making all our decisions and taking our power away. Um, But it's awesome. We're having these conversations and this movement um, has grown tremendously. And it's obvious to me that libertarianism is taking off more and more from the opposition you see in the mainstream media these days. But candidates are making waves across the country. So I'm just super confident that all of these things are coming to fruition and spreading like wildfire.
0: I agree. So um, if someone um, or folks wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Probably on Facebook. You can follow me at uh, Will4OK on Twitter as well. That's where I do like most of my campaign posts. And then follow the Oklahoma Libertarian Party. Um, we've got like 4,000 followers on Twitter 9,000 on Facebook. But we would love your support, love you to follow and interact with us on social media. Follow LP Vets on all of the social medias if you're interested. And I'm running for state labor commissioner. So if you're an Okie, uh, you happen to be watching this podcast, please vote for me. Uh, if you're in New, Am- New Hampshire and you want to uh, or I'm sorry, Vermont, and you want to support, feel free to share any of my posts and ideas. Yeah, thank you. We will certainly
0: do that. I love you guys tweets. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me. I think this was a great discussion. I really appreciate your insights um, and a lot of the points that you brought up. And hopefully we can do this again. We'll pick up another topic and we'll just go off on it. What Sounds great.
1: Appreciate it, Olga. <laughs>
0: all right well hang on there and i want to thank you folks that are joining us in this conversation and let's keep it going Hello and welcome everyone to the Latina Libertarian with your-